Hello and welcome to episode 131 of the Waters Wavelength Podcast. I am Anthony Malakian, the editor-at-large at Waters, and I am joined by James Rundle, our newly appointed U.S. editor. Hello. So today we're going to have two topics uh, that we're going to look into that are familiar if you've been listening to the podcast. Uh, we will first be discussing Bitcoin ETFs as there's a little bit more news that uh, we report on our reporter uh, in Europe, Josephine Gallagher, uh, got some good uh, sources, um, more from the big bank side rather than um, the, you know, kind of hedge fund Bitcoin side, which was in my article. Mm. Um, so it's just kind of interesting to see these divergent opinions yeah. that they have in space. And then we're going to delve a little bit more into the State Street deal for Charles River and the OMS space at large uh, today on Friday. Um, well, we're recording this on Thursday, but this will go live on Friday. Um, we, report, we posted another feature, a very long feature, a deep dive into both that deal and you know just the, the, the space as a whole. And so you should definitely give that a read. It's 3,000 words, um, assuming that we don't break it into two pieces, which we still might do, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Plus, there's an op-ed from our editor-in-chief as well. Um, and, uh, yes, Victor, there's an op-ed. That will be for the August. That It will be online, but that will be available in the August issue? No, this is a separate one, actually, that he's done specifically for this story. Oh. So, um, yeah, it's a nice little package journalism. The nice thing about being editor-at-large is you no longer have any concern about workflow or anything. Like, for me, I just kind of write the story, hand it in, and whatever happens, happens from there. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, I, I've been U.S. editor for two weeks now, and I've actually started to understand why editors don't write news stories. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just don't have any time because uh, you're living the dream. <laughs> living the dream, baby. Nine years on, and so I'm here ready to get. So first, though, let's hit on the Bitcoin ETF space. Yeah, this uh, is a really interesting story. Yeah, because you know we've seen some reports in other publications that are still, first of all, getting the Van Eck story a little bit wrong. Um, won't name names. <coughs> um, and then there are, you know, just different opinions as to the direction of the Bitcoin ETF market, where it should go, if it should go, things yeah. like that. So why, since you uh, gave uh, the edit on this, and I think this is kind of a pullout from what will be a larger piece on ETFs in general from Josephine. Yes, so she's got a really uh, deep dive into ETFs and sort of their explosion over the last few years and how technology is going to drive the next phase of that, which is really worth reading. Uh, that'll be out, um, I guess, next week probably. We'll put it live online, but it'll be in the, the next issue of the magazine, which just went to press today on Thursday as mm-hmm. we're recording this. Um but yeah, this is a pull-up from that, uh, because Tony also covered Bitcoin ETF, so we figured it was uh, his right to have the first crack at the print edition. <laughs> uh, but no, this is really cool. So what Joe did, she spoke to um, some real heavy hitters in the space, so Goldman Sachs Asset Management, Vanguard, uh, the consultancy ECFGI, which is well-respected. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just really interesting to hear some of their opinions on it, which were not as positive as you might think, really, I guess. Um and this is a real problem, I think, for Bitcoin ETFs in particular. So Bitcoin as a whole, if it wants to become a bona fide asset class, it needs the support of these guys. Mm-hmm. It, it needs not, not just the sell side, but the big sort of buy side arms, the sell side firms and everything else to, sure. to really pile in and um, talking to these guys, or at least reading their comments in the story. None of them seem convinced about the benefits of a crypto ETF, whether that's either from a security standpoint, um, in terms of they just say, look, you know, regardless of what other else talking about 
we can't have headlines when you're waking up in the morning saying 200 million has been stolen, 400 million has been stolen, all the rest of it doesn't breed confidence. And secondly, there are even questions about the fundamental nature of Bitcoin, so whether it is truly a way for enhancing your wealth or a store of value or anything else, or whether it is just a fad and people are riding speculative bubbles. And this is from you know, people in very senior roles who specialise in doing ETFs as their day-to-day job. Uh-huh. Um, so all a little bit worrying, really. Like, you know, as you said, it's fine to talk to um, enthusiasts and, and hedge funds who are specialising in crypto. They'll give you the runaround all day about how this is, you know, the next stage of, I don't know, human evolution or something. Um, but when you talk to actual sort of traditional market experts, they're just like, well, oh, you know don't believe the hype and it's all maybe a little bit too early for this there are some fundamental issues that still need to be solved before we go forward well i think with anything in the capital markets you know one thing that we learn and this is i guess it's an interesting project a product because it is both technology with the underlying uh you know uh distributed ledger technology mm. underneath it the um the the coding the programming to uh create these kind of assets stuff like that you know so it is interesting from that regard and it is just kind of whole new asset class of an of itself. And the one thing that it, it kind of reminds me of is cloud adoption in the capital market space. Cloud adoption took off in other sectors. Many, many firms were quick to jump on board um, to, especially in the public space, where on the buy side, certainly, that's only become coming, you know, more and more prevalent now. There's, it, it goes to show why you always have to temper your, your or curb your enthusiasm, I guess, when when talking about the capital markets because they will inevitably inevitably move slower, more slowly, yeah. um, and especially when the SEC gets involved, who's really concerned about the retail investor, even if you know the Van Eck product is more geared toward an institutional client, yeah. they're going to still move much more slowly on these things. And, look, and then the crypto crowd doesn't help itself as well. I mean, there was a an agricultural committee hearing in the Senate, I think it was yesterday, um, on Wednesday, and uh, it's this kind of weird thing of, of Giancarlo from the CFTC becoming crypto dad, or whatever his name crypto is. Dad, yeah. And they were all, like Joe, the regulation reporter, and Riss was getting so frustrated with hearing her cursing and screaming because they were all flooding the comment box. <laughs> so she couldn't read the transcript because they were literally just going, yeah, crypto dad, yeah, and that kind of thing. And then apparently they've put, like, dozens and dozens of comment letters in on uh, on ETF rules and everyone's saying guys this isn't about bitcoin ETFs. this is about generally trying to make ETFs more serviceable and they're just like yeah well my kids have been eating ramen noodles since january because i'm fully invested in bitcoin so please make this happen yeah well i was laughing because nathan (laughs) nathan dean at um over at bloomberg and analyst at bloomberg he actually put up a thread that that had me laugh and um you know so sec news uh, the comment letters uh about the whole uh, uh etf approval process and there were 40 comments but the comments were coming just from just, you know, random individuals in the, you know, Bitcoin enthusiasts and, you know, saying stuff like, you know, uh, it would be best of karma for you if you did approve, you know, Bitcoin ETFs, mm. um, you know. Best that. of karma, that's <laughs> Hail America, one person, hail America, hail Bitcoin, hail SEC, you know, <laughs> cool. Uh, one person had the insightful say that the insight to say that the world is global. Your investor base is too. It's like okay, cool, yeah, but it's yeah. like this isn't the right spot for this uh, kind of discussion, Not guys. Really, guys. I mean, this is and this is the thing. Like you know, all the, the hot air that goes into subjects, especially about Bitcoin, and we all know why people are in Bitcoin because the price rose dramatically and everyone bought into it and everyone thinks it's amazing because some people have 
made loads of money. Some people are still probably about to lose their shirts when they come. Golden them their heels. That's it. There is golden them their heels. But um, you know, I was speaking with a, a head of trading the day for a different piece, and we ended up talking about crypto because everyone just wants to talk about it now. Yeah. And he was just saying, like, you know, I don't care like how many of these fly-by-night companies start up custody offerings. I don't care how many digital currency exchanges take Nasdaq smarts and suddenly think they're the you know, goddamn ice or whatever. Like, sure. It doesn't matter. He said, I'm not going to get involved in this until you show me that BNY Mellon is doing custody offering on this or State Street is doing custody yeah. offering on this. Someone I trust with billions of my dollars on a daily basis. I'm not going to trust this as an asset class unless those people are doing it, unless Goldman is making markets in it, unless Morgan Stanley... Is making markets in it, you know that kind of thing. And it and has to happen before that, and that's effectively what these guys are saying. This piece, it's just yeah. you know, it's so immature. Steve Sachs, managing director and and head of global markets at Goldman the Sachs. Sachs, 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 Sachs. Sachs. So imagine that. Sachs is Sachs. So Fan, uh, <laughs> fantastic. Uh, but uh, so he told Joe, uh, Josephine, uh, one thing I will tell you uh, that has to get fixed before this is going to be true. Be, be true. Uh, viable means of currency and thus suitable for building financial products around it is the safety. And he kept on noting that, you know, just the headlines of 150 hacked here, 400 million, you know, hacked there. So that was a big concern. And that was kind of echoed and kind of taken a different direction by Mark Fitzgerald, head of ETF product management uh, for Europe at Vanguard. Uh, Mark said to Joe, uh, it's wise to invest in assets that have an intrinsic value that you can understand and that are actually that actually will offer a diversifier of idiosyncratic risk and the long term uh, and in the long term provide real net returns. Damn, that was difficult for me to read. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is what happens when smart people talk. I can't keep up. Uh, But uh, and he said that he's not sure that that's uh, what we're seeing here in the crypto space. And he's right. This is sensible stuff. I mean, like even when it comes to, I know it's a separate issue from what we're talking about right now, but like blockchain and things like that, you can't get away from it. You literally can't. So I've been waking up early most days for the last few weeks about so five or six in the morning just excited to work with me i know just excited to work with tony <laughs> stoked about editing every piece of copy that comes through the newsroom um <laughs> especially when someone files a three thousand web piece at uh, on poison jealous um exactly yes yeah the, the double-edged sword which i've now gripped firmly with both hands um <laughs> it's not going in. but um i thought this like no one have been playing some computer games before i come to the office or whatever i thought no this morning i'm gonna do something productive i'm gonna wake up i'm gonna have my tea have some toast I watch the news, get educated about the world, it's time to re-engage. Flicked on BBC News because I'm English and I've been raised from birth to believe in its infallibility and sure. because of the state of US network television. First thing I see is an advert for coffee. Well, it's for IBM or Intel or something. I'm just like, whatever. I'm just turn it on and wait for the anchor to come back. And he goes, how do you know that your single source coffee really comes from the mountains of Kenya because of the blockchain. And like, I literally just hit the <laughs> off button and thought, no, like, this is not happening. No, not happening now. I mean, God help me. Yeah, no. <laughs> the other thing I thought, you know, the other thing, so even the ones that are Bitcoin enthusiasts, so uh, it, it just reminded me of somebody I spoke to for uh, my article, Zach Hamilton, uh, who's managing partner at Airfoil Capital, which is an investment firm focused on crypto assets. And he's against Bitcoin ETF, you know, for mm-hmm. the most part, in that, he doesn't like this idea of traditional finance going into the crypto universe, that it's counterproductive, as he says. And you know, just to read a quote from him, smart contract solutions can do exactly what ETFs do, but with tiny fees, no custodian issue, perfect transparent, instant liquidity. They really want to have their own little universe here. Many of them want to have their own little universe where then you have the other crypto and current, you know, um, 
know, you guys like Bitwise Asset Management that are very yeah. much want this to happen. So not only do you have institutional against tiny crypto hedge fund, you have hedge fund against hedge fund, you have, you know, Goldman, you know, pushing the brakes, you have some other, you know, you know, JP Morgan also pushed brakes, but some others have, you know, starting to embrace it slowly. BlackRock, there's some rumors there, I guess, that, that they're uh, starting yeah, that to was expand. A, the financial news story last week, wasn't it, about setting up a working group about cryptocurrencies yeah. and actually moved the market. Um, yeah. So, well done, Yolanda. Yeah, I mean, but Zach's entirely right. Like, you know, at the end of the day, this is the way these things were designed. They were designed to operate on a blockchain with smart contracts executing stuff because that's what the technology is built for. It's not built to be replicated through a series of convoluted steps by an ETF or by a swap or by whatever you have you. Yeah. Um, and again, it comes back to the simple point of, let's be honest about why this is here. It's to generate profit. And yeah. it's to get the institution money on board so they can pile in and just send that valuation soaring for Bitcoin yeah. until it sells again. So everyone can make a little bit more money at the next step. A lot of guys in Chicago can buy a new house. And then, uh, you know, when they have enough of it, it's done. I don't see the value in this. Like, I understand the value of futures as a hedging tool, and I understand the value of ETFs as an exposure tool. If you want exposure to Bitcoin, just buy Bitcoin. I yeah. Mean, you know, come on. At the end of the day, like, and this whole thing about Ether as well, which everyone's more keen on. I didn't get it. Yep. Yeah, I was trying to find a quote there, but yeah, essentially what you're saying is is dead on. And so everybody thinks this is going to move quickly. And I, I was reading a couple reports saying, yes, it, it does appear that Bitcoin ETFs will be approved by SEC. I'm like, where are you getting yeah, this well, from? Sorry, because, is your source at the SEC? Yeah, because if he is, then yeah. this is going, this is flying right in the face of everybody else that I'm hearing from that there's no chance, that there's no chance, hmm. but the odds are against the SEC saying yes with Van Wick, uh, Van Eck, not Van Wick. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a <laughs> horrible <York> road. <laughs> <laughs> um, that this is going to move the the football, the proverbial football forward. Yes, mm-hmm. but that we're not at the goal line yet. That this right. isn't that we're not here. That's at least what I'm hearing, and I could be definitely it's proven okay. wrong on this. And there was and there was a need for futures, and like yeah. even if they haven't been self-certified, the CFTC probably would have because there was a need to hedge exposure. Right, there is no actual need right now for an ETF. Yeah. Um, I don't see it. Um, I don't see a market or a systemic risk need for it in any kind of way whatsoever. It's purely just a, a tool for certain people to make money and certain people not to, especially get unsophisticated investors. Like the very definition of people who are investing in ETFs right now and causing this boom are people who don't understand financial products and want the exposure, but they're simple to execute and navigate. So they get Vanguard, they get BlackRock, they get everyone else to write them an ETF on, on this. You know, yeah. Fine. You put your, your investment trust and in that kind of thing in it, your pensions. Um, and I guess this is the point we should also say. We're just speculating. God, we've been wrong in this podcast plenty of times oh, where, yeah, where our predictions are wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Almost <laughs> certainly about this because God knows Crypto Daddy's <laughs> going to put exenting some pressure on this. But yeah, okay. um, So, yeah, feel free to watch us filming ourselves putting egg all over our faces when yeah. we get approved next week. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we'll keep an eye on that market. Obviously, if you guys have any uh, insights, you know, we'd be glad to hear you. But these are, you know, Josephine's story was outstanding. And again, talking to Vanguard um, at Goldman, some other uh, industry experts for hers. Yeah, State Street, some hedge um, funds. It was, it was a really good piece. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and then the, her larger feature just on ETFs as a whole is just uh, going to be, uh, that'll be out next week. So definitely check those out. Give my uh, Bitcoin ETF uh, story where I just talk with uh, the guys that wanted to have, or just uh, the, the small hedge fund guys. That's you get but... both sides of the conversation. Right? Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, that's why you subscribe to us, guys. That's yeah, why you subscribe. It's the depth and the breadth. Speaking mm-hmm. of why you subscribe to us, my friends. Yes. 
it has something to do with the fact that when a merger happens, you can go to FT, Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg. You know, they'll give you, you know, they'll, they'll tell you about price valuation, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, we get some immediate reacts, yeah. maybe one or two lines from a couple yeah. of people. Yeah. You know, we take our time a little bit, but then we really, really try and dig in and talk to a, a wide array of technologists in the industry. People that really actually know what's going on as far as a functionality issue as opposed to an analyst that's just worried more about, you know, returns on investment and stuff like that mm-hmm. or returns um, in the stock market. Whatever. I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about there. I just read about technology. We uh, did a larger piece, very large piece, on the State Street Charles River deal um, for $2.6 billion. And we looked at that, and then we also kind of extrapolated, all right, what does this mean for other OMS providers in the space, specifically um, you know, with the rumors around as software, which haven't been verified or anything like that. So that's just all speculation there. They've been reading, but a lot of people in the industry are talking about it. So we did have to touch on that. And then also looked at some other OMS providers um, just to kind of give a broader understanding of the landscape. Um, So obviously we did speak about this last week. Um, and we do want you to read this feature, but I don't know, James, what, what do you think is maybe important, you know, to take away that maybe we didn't hit on last week, but that's important to cover right now. Um, I mean, last week we were kind of reacting as it happened. We've, sure. as you said, we've had a literally, ago, literally, we've had a go, we talked to what, like maybe a dozen people, I guess about this over the last week. Yeah. Over the last week, um, between me and you, um, and it's, Look, you get, you get the people who they understand it and, and can't see why um, State Street has done it, particularly most people actually, why State Street has paid $2.6 billion for Charles River, because, I mean, wow, you know, yeah. that is an eye-popping number. Um, some people say it's because, you know, it's a defensive move against BlackRock, which is making inroads of its alignment I heard platform. that from a couple people. Yeah, I think a few people have said it's a defensive move on CRD's part because they see what's happening in the landscape. Everyone's getting gobbled up left, right, and centre. Even though CRD isn't what we would consider, I guess, a mid-sized vendor, it's a, it's a large vendor, right? You know, it's sort of yeah. especially for the space. Like, you know, yeah, if you're going to compare them overall to Bloomberg, yeah, yeah then they're smaller, I guess, in some ways. But but they both own space. The water, for instance, OEMS, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, you know, they're the dominant provider of buy-side front office technology for the so, largest institutional for the largest yeah. asset wealth managers, private banks, stuff like that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so, and the other people who say, well, you know. This is State Street's strategy. They've been doing this since they um, brought out SSGX a few years ago. Sure. Um, this is pivot from being just a pure play money manager to being a technology company. Mm-hmm. And so I spoke to Rob Hegarty, um, who some of you will know and is probably listening now because he got in touch through the podcast. Um, he was the former global head of equities at Thomson Royce, as he now runs um, Hegarty Group, a strategic advisory firm. And he said, you know, if there's ever any doubts that uh, State Street is now a technology company, this puts it to bed yeah. in a very firm way. He says that they obviously see that the recurring revenue is going to come from the commoditization of the front office. Um, that's why they've bought Charles River. They have all the stuff in the back end, um, doing all the um, asset servicing and all the fund admin operations they do. gives a full front-to-back model. Um, I guess other people have been a bit more... And he also says that it's it's a mistake to see this just as a bank buying an AMS. Yeah. This is a much bigger than that. That is a good it's, point. Uh, which I thought was a really valid point, which a lot of people were thinking the story were kind of stuck on. They were just like, it never ends up well when a big bank buys a software yeah. provider. And that's true. It very rarely does. It never because they never fit the culture together. They never do anything else. I mean, 
we had this conversation earlier this week as well. I think a lot of it depends on what happens to Charles River now, whether it stays as Charles River Development, a state street company, yeah, or if it just gets subsumed into the wider, larger organism. Of yeah, we. State street. I didn't include much of this uh, in writing the story, but just because I, I didn't necessarily feel it's fair, but I, I do think it is worth noting that of the people I spoke with, again, we spoke with about a dozen people, no one was like, oh, God, State Street already had a great, you know, kind yeah. of order management capabilities. No one said that. You know, and Everyone always quite the opposite. State Street always overpays with stuff. Yeah, exactly. They managed to mess it up. Um, I feel so, like I'm saying that, by the way, because we did approach Charles River and State Street multiple times for comment over the course of a week, and they failed to make anyone available for interviews. So, you know. It's true, it's true. Yeah. And people would have been on, you know, because a lot of the people we spoke with were on background just because they are users of the systems, mm-hmm. they're CTOs, CIOs, um, yeah. or vendors that interact with these companies, so they had to be careful, and we did want them to give us a true opinion, and so we did try... I think if you read it, I, find, I think it's balanced. But you know, I'm worth noting that those sources actually themselves went out to their peers as well often exactly. times and talked to them to make sure they weren't feeding us, you know, yeah, yeah. giving us the mushroom treatment. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a fairly balanced piece. It's fairly, I mean, not fairly, it's very, very in-depth. Um, <laughs> and again, without blowing our own trumpet too much, you know, it's just, this is really the true story, I think, behind the deal. If you want to get the full perspective, this is what you need to read. Um but yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, what do you think from your point? You know, I, I guess that you know, I will be interested to see other, you know, what the larger consolidation is because everybody said that this is not the end of it. You know, mm. whether or not you think Ez is going to get bought, there are going to be some other acquisitions here. Uh, SSNC, Bill Stone has flat out come out and said we have between uh, anywhere from eight hundred million to three billion dollars that we can spend yeah, so on another acquisition. So they can do an acquisition that and we're going to do it, basically. Range, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they got something in their mind. So that's just even going to be one deal, and then that will kind of create other things. So Black, the BlackRock end of this, it was funny. It's That's something I didn't hear about a lot, but mm. actually, you know, uh, Rob obviously said it, and then I had a couple sources even that, that brought up BlackRock and that this is, you know, pressure. Some said it was crd feeling pressure from aladdin some said it was state street uh uh feeling pressure from blackrock i i think it's the what state street is going for here and and somebody else brought this up and it made most sense to me is that they want to become just a basically almost what you would kind of consider a utility now that the source was saying why didn't they kind of go with the utility consortium kind of idea but I think that that's you know just just come here. We you your clients, you're already CRD clients and your state street clients. Let's just bring it together. We now have everything. You will never need to go anywhere. Don't worry, Daddy's going to treat no, you well. Here. What, what every back office firm is trying to do, right? Yeah. The thing you see it with um, who's the big one who's trying to make this play as well? Um, uh, like FIS, for instance, yeah. the derivatives utility and that kind of thing. And, yep. and you see it with. Elements of that and BMI Mellon strategy as well. So, well, we have the tech and with Eagle, and we have all the actual finance functions. We're like an industry utility kind yeah. of thing. You know? And so, all these custodians, as Rob pointed out, that's commoditized business there. You know, all the giant ones have this, but it's tough to differentiate. It's tough to find alpha that where the alpha that's going to be generated coming from the buy side yeah. is going to be in that front office. And the banks are now kind of starting to say, all right, let's get into this. And so, State Street. Okay, we'll pay a premium for this, but we are getting, we're not getting some, you know, kind of bootleg product here. We are getting what is the big behemoth, uh, sticky um, OEMS 
for the, for the largest this, buy side like, firms. Let's go big or go home, essentially. Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. We deal with the largest buy side firms. They deal with the <laughs> largest buy side firms. So there's a lot of yeah. overlap there. And I think it's important not to downplay the importance of the Boston connection as well. That yes. connection to me, not just by Rob. Cultural, but too. Cultural, too, exactly. Um, you know, I spoke to a couple of the people, a couple of VC guys who's quite... <clears throat> Unfortunately, didn't make it into the piece, uh, mainly because they turn around to me and said, oh, you cannot even quote me on background. But, uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, you said, like, you know, they don't think that CRD would have sold to anybody but a State Street at the end of the day or a, another Boston-based firm. Sure. Because it is just literally trying to fit that culture together is impossible. Yeah. Um, as anyone who has met any Bostonian before probably knows, um, you know, they stick together. They're a club. Yeah. Um, Boston's as much as I Boston guy, Boston boys, Chicago guys, Boston you know, boys, it's all kind of the same guys, thing. Yeah, Brooklyn you know. boys, all the rest of it. Yeah. They all, they all <laughs> um, you know, and it's as much an identity as, as anything else. Um, being a Boston-based provider and that kind of investment management scene out there, and that is all very yeah. much a club. Because um, so yeah. you know, I, one thing I vividly remember was everybody. So we did a deep dive after SSNC bought Advent, mm. um, and that's what everybody said, kind of like. You know, how is this cultural fit going to be, you know, Advent's, you know, a little bit more, was a little more buttoned up, I think people were saying, or maybe, it was, I can't remember exactly what yeah. it was, but, you know, and same thing with FIS SunGuard, there was kind of like this, yeah. you know, th this is a weird fit here, you know, we understand the services and that the breadth of services, but culturally, yeah. it is going to work. It's cowboys and Indians, right? Yeah. Sort of like, yes. Yeah, Boston, where everybody works, you know, at some point, you kind of make the, the run, you know, between, you know, going to Fidelity, State Street, you know, CRD, well, exactly. you yeah, know. They all know each other, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the whole point. It's, uh, and, you know, anybody who's worked in a sales team for one has probably at some point worked in a sales team for the other. Um, that's fine. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think what's going to be interesting as well is, is the second part of your story, which is now if people like SSNC want to stay in the game, they have to make a move. I think. Yeah, um, well, SSNC certainly will. You know that they will. Yeah, you know they will, exactly. And whether that's Does, or whether it's someone else, you know, it wouldn't surprise me either way. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't just wait for to see if this actually works with State Street or not. You have to assume that it will and how you're going to react to it. Yeah. I mean... I don't see a BlackRock buying anyone necessarily. They've already got the technology, right? They don't yeah. need to. Um, and they've got the back end. But yeah, SS and C definitely have to. Um, any of the other big remaining MS, maybe Line Data even making a play for something. Line Data, like sure. Yeah, I mean, they're Unless the they're, ones. Unless they're an acquisition target themselves. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. Well, that's the other thing is, you know, you, it, it's tough to really say, you know, who's going to be the buyer, who's going to be the seller in this, you know, SSC is going to be the buyer. <laughs> <laughs> we all know that Bill Stone is going to yeah. do the buying. They're going to definitely <laughs> be the buyer. But uh, there is some other, you know, you know, whether or not, you know, IHS market, you know, are they kind of moving out? Are they moving in? Where are they kind of going line data? Yeah. You know, do they kind of view themselves as being acquisition targets or do they kind of say this is our opportunity to kind of go out and acquire? I, I think it's fair enough to say that it's going to be tough to sit put, to stay put, unless you have a really focused... OEMS kind of capability for a specific function, you know, Black Mountain jumps to mind, Joe you know, with their, I think that they're in like the loan space, stuff like that. Yeah. You know, um, well, Axe Trading have their kind of Axe Trading, yeah, it's yeah. another one. Um, if you have something that's really kind of focused and targeted, you know, I'm sure you can get your revenues that way. And, yeah. you know, you, 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 you know, you don't, you're not going to become, you know, the, like a Charles River, you're not going to become something, some big behemoth, but that doesn't mean that you can't, make a good living that you can't you know turn profits and continue to innovate and slowly grow but yeah. well, it's, it's either be very niche 
or else then you got to then start to yeah. find your dance partner. It comes back to what we were saying in January, right, with the Fidesz thing. We are saying the, the squeezed middle is where the problem is right yeah. now. Like if you're stuck between that niche provider uh, and that kind of big, all-encompassing, dominant player, nope. and you're kind of diversified but not strong in each one, then you're in trouble. Yeah. Right? Or you're going to be someone else's property by this time next year. You know, God, and I guess another, Temenos would probably be an, a logical, and well, even if, though... If they wanted Fidesz, yeah, I'd imagine they'd probably want... A little Something bit stung similar. from that, you know. Yeah, so yeah. do they? But do they? They obviously wanted it for a reason. Now, whether or not Fidesa was, you know, again, London-based, you know, fintech darling kind of uh, yeah. company, whether or not they're going to be looking towards these U.S. firms. Well, or they something wanted like the that. MS, right? That's what they wanted. Yeah, there. exactly. They didn't yeah. necessarily want the compliance and the uh, the yeah. EMS side, but they wanted the MS. So yeah, I mean, that's maybe even a potential then potential that, catfight coming for us to see again. You know? so that was the other piece of the CRD piece. It was just that their, their compliance piece, a lot of people pointed to that as being yeah. that. I, I didn't actually realize, but that they started out as basically a compliance platform. Still incredibly strong. I mean, I remember speaking yeah. to, uh, to Andy Powers from um, from Poland Capital uh, late last year, and they just moved to CRD. Um, but they had a really complex series of accounts. They'd grown from just being a pure play kind of small family office type things being really diversified having sort of wrap accounts and various yeah, yeah. as well and they just said look we've got 2,500 accounts all of them have different investment criteria all of them have different compliance concerns so we needed a system like Charles River which is powerful enough to do that and again as you say everyone forgets that Charles River started off as a compliance engine and yeah. the IMS is kind of like built as an adjunct to it Yeah. Um, so their specialization is in the area and that's still very powerful and a very yeah. compelling comp- uh, proposition for State Street so yeah well and you know as any any as with any acquisition, everybody's now just sitting back going, all right, are these services going to remain intact? Is this going to be State Street gobbling up Charles River, or is this Charles River, comma, a State Street company? Yeah. I think if it's the latter, there's room for success. I think if State Street wants to have an ego about it, and, you know, BlackRock has Aladdin, State Street now has, you know, CRD, you know, the State Street OMS, I think that you'll see some problems but that's just me speculating after. But speaking with a lot of people in the industry, that seems to be the, the prevailing thought, I guess. I see. Let's hope they don't call it like SSCR or something so we get oh, confused God. with SS&C. And then SS, you know. yeah. <laughs> just to thumb the nose at SS&C. I can see him doing that. That's a very Boston thing to do, isn't it? <laughs> all right. So, yeah, um, read all these stories. We'll link to them. Um, well, if you're a subscriber. If you're not a subscriber, yeah. you should for, be. for everyone who actually got in touch after the last podcast and did yeah. say, you know, hey, I can talk about this. We really do appreciate it. And as you can hopefully see from this story, you know, it really helps build a story. So, again, if you're ever thinking I've got an opinion on a story they cover in this, please do get in touch. Yeah. Or really if it's something we haven't touched on, we're always open to yeah. uh, new ideas and stuff like that. So. Sure. All right. Well, that's about it. We were going to talk fun topic, but this ran long, but I think it was good. Um, so we will be back next week. I'll be on vacation. I might be calling in or, I don't know, we haven't figured out exactly what we're going to do yet. To yeah, we're going to do it on Tuesday, that. Saturday. That's what we're going to do. Uh, we'll see. Maybe we'll I just want to, you know, now I'm at large. I, I'm going to go at large, my friend. <laughs> now, now I'm your boss, Tony. <laughs> Playing the trump card already. Trump I like it. Already. I like it. All right. Well, have a good week, people. See you later.